everybody to our introductory episode of the retro futurist podcast we are here to bring you your future and a future that may not have been or a future that could be to come today i'm very excited because i've got my buddy warlock here he's really fun to talk to really enthusiastic about this topic and uh, we've uh shared some exchanges over the interwebs about how much we love this stuff so i wanted to bring warlock on to really talk to you guys about uh, what we consider to be um fun parts of retro futurism and things we consider retro future and the cool thing about this topic and i think warlock would agree with me is you can kind of turn anything into this looking at it from a certain angle so we can kind of talk about anything we want to some extent <laughs> but i think our main idea is kind of defining what we consider a retro futurist story and uh how are you doing today warlock what's going on i am good um yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to, I don't know, be a part of it. Because like you said, we can uh, probably talk for days on some of this stuff. But uh, yeah, it's a genre that I think is really cool that I've been into for a long time. So it's exciting stuff. Right. Um, one of the things I wanted to, to uh, sort of talk about, what was the first thing? It took me, I mean, I've kind of always known and it was one of the inspirations for coming up with this when I was... I was asked by the awesome people at Ruminations of the Red Room to bring a new creative outlet to their network of podcasts. And they were like, what would you want to work on? And I was like, hmm, what do I want to do that's a little bit different that I love that I can have some creative fun with? And one of the things I thought about was like retro futurism and just because I find it really interesting to see how it's done in various media, whether it's movies, comics, tabletop role-playing games, video games, novels. It's, um, I don't think people know how far back this can kind of go. Um, but I think for me, like, I tend to think of it as a loose definition of a predicted future or future tech in a story that our own timeline has either passed or not reached, like alternate timelines um, definite key parts of my upbringing that stuck out that I've nailed down were like things like Blade Runner when that came out, when the original Ghost in the Shell anime movie hit the theater, that was a definite big one. I'm going to do a whole episode on that later. Um, the Matrix, which was inspired by both of those things, or even like, again, coming back to the great Jack Kirby, the Thundar the Barbarian cartoon from the early 80s from Hanna-Barbera, that was very like, as a kid, I was like, this is weird. We're in a weird dystopian destroyed <laughs> apocalyptic future, but this guy's like Conan. And, you know, that's a whole nother episode we'll get to. You're definitely going to be on that one. Okay, um, good. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> Thundar is something I love so much. Like, uh, it was on, I think it's it's older than me to, to uh, say that. But once I saw some reruns and like, as I got older, um, I just, I love everything about Thundar. It's so good. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a really good show. And interestingly, um, it was the designs were two of my all time favorite 
comic book artists. Um, they initially hired Alex Toth to come in and he did the main characters. Um, but he was busy on another project and they had just hired Jack Kirby. They brought him in on and he did like all of the background designs, all of the incidental characters, all the villains. That was all Kirby. And you, as soon as you know that and you watch the show, you're like, oh, it just clicks. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. Because really, really cool. uh, a lot of it reminds me of like Kirby's stuff on like Commandy for Marvel, um, right. which had that like kind of Planet of the Apes feeling. And, right. That uh, was actually DC. Or is it DC? There you yeah, go. that was in DC. But I could see how you'd be confused because he, in the span of 30 years, worked for Marvel and DC yeah, twice. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, what um, Other than Thundar, what's, uh, what are your thoughts on Retro Future? What makes something a Retro Future for you? Yeah, I think um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Uh, to me, it's usually like a vision of the future a lot of times like a near future of some kind um but an idea of the future that originates from our past so um this is where you usually get stuff like the way technology looks or its role in techno in society um even stuff with fashion and style um to me a lot of retro future stuff is style and substance combined because you usually have a lot of that you know, bright neon CRT monitors, um, things like that. When I think of retro future, a lot of my thinking goes straight to like dystopian cyberpunk, like born of the eighties type stuff. Um, which also brings with it a lot of like societal fears of, you know, uh, the people of the time and who's populating the world and like things like that. So when I think of that, I think it's, it's something very, it's born of the past, but it's still something contemporary in a way. But it looks, it looks to the future. It's like all of all of the things combined, almost. Yeah, and it, um, I love. That's funny you brought up the CRT, and I think like I have such a love affair with CRT. I mean, we, I grew up with the CRT my whole life. The the modern flat panel TVs didn't come out till. I was in my 20s. I mean, I had a, and I gamed on CRTs, even, even my first HD 1080i TV was a CRT because they were still, the flat panels when they first came out, the LCDs and plasmas were so expensive. Right. <laughs> and, and they weren't known for gaming at the time. Now it's, the technology has improved, but um, whenever I see old sci-fi movies with CRTs, but it's in the future, I both like get nostalgic and happy and then kind of laugh a little bit. Cause I was like, well, we obviously wouldn't have those if this was the year 22 something, because <laughs> we don't even use CRTs anymore. Right. Yeah. I always think of like, um, the computer panels and the displays and stuff out of, right. uh, a uh, alien, like really mm, like yeah, first yeah. one, like just the black screen with like the green text on almost this like command line looking thing. And it's, yeah, that's what we had. We're going to the deepest reaches of space, but this is as far as screen technology is We are is running come. on a TRS-80. <laughs> exactly. Right? As Star Wars is the same. They, um, One of the things I know they probably... They, they've kind of sneak in a little bit of newer stuff, but even in the newer sequel trilogy, they tried to really stick to that old aesthetic of those uh, black and singular color monitors and the targeting systems that are like the red and blue lights just flash yeah, over yeah. each other. And and uh, it's cool to see them. And then they sneak in a couple new things here and there, but they really try to stick to that 
aesthetic of the original trilogy um, with that stuff, which is cool. But then they have other technology in Star Wars that's crazy. So it's just funny how that <laughs> that works. Um, why do you think? Well, I'm going to tell you why I think I love all this stuff, but I want you to think about why why you all love this stuff. I think one of the things that I find really um, fascinating is I feel like it's a projection of frustration of the creators seeing what's going on in the world and trying to project it into a story that might have people think a little bit about what is going on in the world. Um, you know, most of the stories from this standpoint, it's a, f a future that's gone bad because of a war or a famine or a mistake and people have to learn how to survive and the technology maybe the technology spiked the dystopian future and then they have to relearn the technology they've been bombed to oblivion and had to come back i think that's like sort of how thundar was um i think one of the pivotal examples of this is if you watch the original mad max and then you see road warrior and it's after the big war and the big bomb and everything is just at we've re regressed almost to like primal levels of tribal societies and everybody's fighting over what little tech is left. And in that movie, the, the tech is gasoline to power the vehicles so they can move around and find food. Um, and I feel a little bit of that, that was a big influence on probably the Fallout series as well of, of games. Um, I remember when I first played Fallout 3, it reminded me a lot of Mad Max, but with some clunky steampunk mechs thrown in for good measure. Oh, yeah. Um, so um what are your thoughts on that warlock um yeah i mean i i'm right there with you and why it's appealing i think is uh like you say the the stories that i love at least are ones that seem to be just enough in the future that we see where some certain aspect of our current course as a society as a world as a people are is leading to right so um, like you said, usually that's in this fiction, at least towards some self-inflicted destruction, either from technology, from uh, like corporate greed, from war, from all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's pretty fascinating to me that a lot of these stories are created in the, you know, they could, they're from the 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even earlier sometimes. Uh, of course, stuff has come since, but the issues they bring up usually is stuff that we're still struggling with today. So um, I love that just the the way it gets into that. Like it's still, you see them, they're dated. It The retro part comes through with the way technology looks, but some of the issues they deal with still feel real in a sense. It's not something we've gotten over. Um, and it's part of that style of it too, right? So some of it is aspirational. Like uh, when you see the style of the technology or the style of the people or like the punk and cyberpunk is like a thing I've always loved. Um, all that stuff is super cool. Um, but then there's this duality to the stories in which the world isn't very good, but there's this kind of like shiny chrome over it that is appealing. So it's kind of like dreadful and awesome at the same time. Yeah, there's definitely that. And then there's, you know, the uh, almost, it's funny you bring that up. It's almost like 
the glam, the appeal is almost like modern fascination, FOMO, but really underneath everything's dead inside or it's horrible or everybody's poisoned. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're right. struggling with the day to day. Like um, that uh, it was sort of like one of the themes in uh, Battle Angel, uh, Alita, and then the, the live action movie Battle Angel was a similar thing. Um, everybody's obsessed with making it to that rich place. Um, and that's almost a metaphor for some current stuff in society. You had, you had, a, I'm just going to get down to it. You had a, a thought on that um, here in your notes about current events. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Um, yeah, sure. The, uh, I think there's a lot of it, um, especially again, kind of thinking about cyberpunk in particular. So the uh, kind of the rampant consumerism that can come from uh, corporations having a whole ton of power and influence over governments and policy and things like that. Um, we're also seeing, you know, sadly, there's a lot of uh, social unrest surrounding, you know, abuses of power, um, whether on a government level or law enforcement or, uh, within companies themselves. Um, and it's all kind of mirroring a lot of what these stories, uh, have in them. So, uh, the, I know basically back in June, I think when a lot of this stuff was coming to a head, at least in the United States, uh, the uh, company now I'm blanking on the names that are Talisorian Games. The oh, guys who make yeah, I love those um, guys, Talislanta and yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. They make uh, the Cyberpunk RPG. So Mike Pondsmith, the creator of Cyberpunk, and he's been if you follow game news, he's been all over the place because of the Cyberpunk video game coming out. But he pretty much has this quote saying that you know his view of Cyberpunk. You know when he wrote the game and envisioned the world and all that stuff was a it's a warning, not an aspiration. So that kind of sums up the, I think what I like about the duality of these stories where like they're cool. They can be like filled with action, exciting stuff, car chases, but they're also pretty powerful and introspective with sometimes the characters or at least how you should be viewing the world and like where power should come from and, and things like that. And just being, seeing that in fiction should can inform you know somebody of being like as a warning sign of wow if i'm seeing companies or governments do this kind of stuff are we going to end up like mad max for example um so yeah that's kind of where i was going with yeah i loved today it today you can see it yeah 100 percent, and I just, it's fascinating that some people can walk through life and not see signs of any of this stuff um, at all, which is fine. But I just, I just find it fascinating that you have so many stories that are trying to tell everybody, Hey man, this is not going to work out for us in the end, but the wheel keeps turning and they keep going in that direction. And it's just that, that part's kind of fascinating that that keeps going and nobody's there. There's not enough momentum to put a stop to it or 
you know, who knows? I don't want to get too crazy on that because that could be, we could start a whole nother podcast on that. <laughs> I, I don't have yes. time for that. Um, <laughs> let's just talk about the cool stuff. I mean, um, really what, what kind of, like I said, what got me into this in the first place, I think I was a small kid and the allure of the, the blue CRT tone of the TV, you'd watch it at night. And I think like the perfect thing that captures the scene for everybody out there, if you go watch the original Halloween movie, the John Carpenter one, and the kids are watching an old CRT TV with all the lights off in the dark, because that's just what we did in the eighties. And they're watching the original, the thing, uh, the John Hawks for John, um, is that his name? The original director that did the first version of the thing, not the I don't Carpenter know. Thing. I don't know his name. Um, I'm blanking it. But anyway, they're watching it, you know, and there might be the kitchen light on, but the room's dark and it's just a blue glow of the CRT. Um, that was me growing up as a kid. We had one of those old wooden console ones that sat on the ground. And I remember we had cable. And uh, I remember seeing the opening shots of Blade Runner because it was on HBO or something. I was like seven, eight, nine years old or something. And, uh, it just looked amazing. I was like, what is that? And I had already seen Star Wars, but Star Wars you knew was complete fantasy, but Blade Runner looked like something that could happen in that 10, 20 year time span, right? Like they, and that's kind of, and and it makes sense because it was designed by Sid Mead, who was probably the original futurist, you know? Uh, anyway, seeing that and, uh, I didn't understand it, of course. The movie was way too deep for a eight eight year old. Uh, but I liked Harrison Ford because he was Han Solo and Indiana Jones. So I was like, well, later on when I was older, the director's cut had come out, the first director's cut, not the now final cut. And it was playing at one of the local theaters. And I went and saw it. And that's when it finally kind of clicked with me. And by that point, I had been kind of immersed in various products of the genre uh, due to video games, tabletop role-playing games, um, other movies, but it, it came back to Blade Runner for me and it really cemented my love of this genre and its tropes, for lack of a better word. What was your first like thought of, of retro or, or this kind of cyberpunk retro future appeal for you i remember uh the first first real thing i remember connecting to it was seeing robocop 2 so i saw it uh later than it released um because i think it came out in 1990 um but i probably saw it by the time i was like nine or ten i think my dad uh finally was letting me watch it even though it's probably not appropriate in any way um but I just remember loving the way like cybernetics and all the cyborg and like robot action that was presented like to a kid that was super cool. The way, you know, slamming each other through walls and all that kind of stuff. Um, super fun. And to this day, it's still cool. Uh, and then I get older, I rewatch it and, you know, I finally see the original and you can kind of see the 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 aspects of a typical kind of like cyberpunk thing bleeding through right so mm -hmm. yeah the got, first movie is oh, yeah. very very much in that tone yeah you've got this like almost um satire level ultra violence with corporations manipulating everyone from the boardrooms um and the 
I don't know. It, it, it's it's pretty cool just because the you watch it from that way, and it's it's like a lot of this fiction. You see uh, societal stuff kind of there to unpack. The again, the ultra violence could be a critique on excessive force, um, things like that. But all of it kind of clicked, you know, when I was in high school, um, and I wanted to seek out like a lot more of this stuff. So from there, I kind of went into this realm of like anything. Uh, that was bleak, dark, dystopian. I wanted to check it out. Um, I know Blade Runner. I absolutely loved um, right there with you on that, especially that's another one um, as far as like digging into retro future. Like if I let my imagination wander, it also has this very distinct like sound, right? Like I think <laughs> I think uh, Blade Runner and the the score to that movie and also anything yeah. that then came with like analog synths and old uh gear like that making electronic music is also right where my mind goes whenever i want to imagine this stuff um but yeah the blade runner escape from new york um is another one that i loved uh then i just started to dig into comics some novels um and eventually like playing tons and tons of shadowrun the tabletop RPG throughout high school. Oh yeah. So I think I was, I had, um, um, kid that I grew up with, he lived across the street from me. And then, you know, both of our parents had moved we stayed friends. He had moved maybe a couple, few miles east of where we originally grew up. And then we moved like all the way across town. So on the weekends I would go and stay at his house and another friend that he met at school. Cause I had to go to a different school then, um, they started playing D and D, um, at the time, a D and D first edition. And, um, then they started playing shadow run and man, we got hooked on that like big time. Uh, we played that a lot, a lot of shadow run and a lot of making new characters and having fun with that game. It was almost too big for our like 14 year old brains to really understand at the time. I think now, yeah. I think I wish I had some recordings of how we played is it would probably be hilarious. It was probably just a lot of ultra violence. Yeah. I, I know I played a street samurai with like claw arms and I carried a charged sword and I carried like five Uzis and all kinds of crazy shit. I was like, you know, I was just a fighter. Um, but we had a lot of fun. We and we you always in one group you always have that one person that wants to be the super hacker slash wizard that's like the yep. glass cannon and you gotta keep that person alive. So we always had that person <laughs> who's I think his character's brain got fried in the uh <laughs> while he was what did they call it in Shadowrun? It wasn't slicing. Was it slicing? Uh decking. Decking. Yeah. And what is right. that? It's a dump shock where it like fries your brain. Yeah, yeah. He got he got fried, and then it was kind of fun because the GM um, kept his brain alive as an AI construct. It was kind of fun. Like we had some fun with this stuff. Nice. We were we were reading all that genre and watching all those things and having a ton of fun. And that's, I think, tabletop gaming is one of those things where you can explore this genre to a level that probably no other form can we'll we'll find out when the game comes out later if the game can touch the level of crazy that the tabletop true, uh, true. games can have that's going to be um that's going to be something cool 
Um, what are your what are your feelings on Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven? What have you seen so far, and what do you think? What are your hopes for the game? I I really like what I've seen. I I know I absolutely love uh, the development team. So I've been it's like a game I know I'm going to play, and I've kind of been staying away from a lot of it to go in like as fresh as I can. But I've watched a lot of the trailers. Um, a few of like the in-depth kind of reveal stuff they've been doing over the past couple months. And I think, I think they're nailing the aesthetics for sure. Um, and from some of the quest lines and some of the previews of the kind of narrative stuff, I think, I think we can also probably expect some of that, like, uh, I don't know, like the, that shadowy, like, uh, undercurrent to come bubbling up, right? Like you mentioned Shadowrun and like Ultraviolence and mm. Cyberpunk, if you're mercenaries and stuff, it's always like you're probably playing as people that are doing terrible things for sometimes money or right. uh, fame or something like that. So I, I, I'm curious how far they go into that. And the another thing that I think is cool, since you can upgrade your character with like cybernetics and stuff, and you mentioned your uh, buddy being becoming like a brain in a jar, like AI. Um, it also can explore like what it means to be human, right? So like if I replace most of my body with cybernetics, am I still a human being? If I'm a brain in the network somewhere, am I still a human being? Like all that kind of almost like transhuman stuff, I wonder if they might go into as well. Right, and that's another one of the big themes of retro future cyberpunk more is like what at what point are you still human is it is it your memories is it your spirit is it your soul is it your body like what are the parts that make you you and keep you you like altered carbon on uh netflix show they they explored that theme a little bit. That was really crazy how you could just slide a disc out and swap bodies. And you were like, <laughs> uh, I was like, whoa, that's uh, that's crazy stuff. I don't know if the game's going to have anything quite like that. The game looks really good. That development team's amazing. Like I, I, uh, I tried, and it's, this wasn't any fault of the game. Um, I have The Witcher 3. And I tried to play it and I just saw how big it was. And at the time I was like busy with a lot of life stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to play this. <laughs> Maybe I'll get around to it later. But just opening them, seeing how big the world was in that map. I was like, no, nah, I'm not ready for this right now. I got to wonder, um, somebody leaked, I saw a leaked picture of a cyberpunk's map, but I'm going to guess that's probably all it is, is a fragment or because of the verticality of cyberpunk, that map looks smaller deceptively. Yeah. In that fact, could be. That, and if any good cyberpunk story probably has an underworld or an underground, you know, that seems to be another trope that I'm sure the cyberpunk guys are probably going to be exploring as well. I did uh, read something. So this might, uh, you know, excite you, I guess like they, they got that feedback to The Witcher 3 a lot, I guess, that the game was just massive. And, like, a yeah. lot of people started it, and not a lot of people saw all of it. Like, they finished the main story, but they didn't see all of it. So I guess they Cyberpunk is more reined in, in a sense. Like, it's still expansive, but it's not intimidatingly so. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, because that's that's exactly what it was. I looked at that map and I was like, oh my! It was just that's what it was. It was completely intimidating as as a person with a family life and responsibilities. I was like, no, man, I'm just not even going to do that. Like, because I just felt like I would have to play it for hours and hours at a time to make any headway. I kind of prefer my games to work on two levels. I like them to be deep and enjoyable, but I also like them to be something I can play for 20, 30 minutes, or I can sit down and play it for three or four hours, right? But if I feel like I have to sit down for a minimum of two hours to make any headway in a game, I probably won't stick with it for too long or, or even play it for that matter. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, the development of the game. And then, uh, the latest trailer with Keanu Reeves showing up again, like he did at E3. That oh was, yeah, that how could was I forget about him? Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, I'm also interested in again, like the sound of it, right? Like I'm, I'm, I am so excited if there's like radio stations a la um, Grand Theft Auto. If there's like some solid like synth wave, and then they've got I forget what band it is. It's uh, they got a band to play. As. Yes, they have a they're having a band pretend to be a band in the game. Right. Yeah. So I think that part of it, like. It's again that kind of like glam and punk and uh, that kind New of like societal stuff. Yeah, I think if they nail that, the game will feel really cool in an immersive way. Hey, this is Charlie Triple C from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, and it'll be interesting to see what things they included um, as far as tropes of the genre and what things they left out or had to change. Like, you know, on paper most of this stuff or any of the tabletop games, right? You can go full, full bionic. I mean, there are consequences, right? Mm -hmm. I got to wonder how much of that is in the game and how much you can, I know there's some of that in the game and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, It'll also be interesting to see. I haven't, I'd like you, I've been not watching everything on it because I kind of want to be mildly blown away when I first fire it up. I don't want to know too much. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there are CRTs in the game. <laughs> yes. I'm also like pretty excited on the prospect of it. Like if it is super successful, if it sells, you know, a trillion copies or whatever, like what other media are we going to then get? Because people think this is a genre people want to see. Like, do we get more movies and shows and games and things like that? Do we have kind of a resurgence all on this one game? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, has this genre ever really hit mainstream? I I think the topic of the genre, along with the kind of societal warnings, have kept it from blowing up to that level. I Yeah. It would be interesting to see if the game can break those kind of barriers, but I'm not counting on it. Um, 
you know, I don't, for some reason, Grand Theft Auto can sell a gazillion copies, which should say something about society. But <laughs> <laughs> but cyberpunk style stuff has never really like been the biggest draw. Uh, it will be really interesting to see. The game does look phenomenal, um, both in design and and scope. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping also since Keanu's in it, I'm hoping for some kind of Johnny mnemonic Easter egg. Johnny, there might be a couple. There might be a Johnny <laughs> mnemonic. There might be a Matrix. Yeah, Matrix. I definitely feel like um, that's a that's the Matrix is probably one we'll have to do a whole episode on on the Retro Futures podcast at some point because of those guys took a lot of the influences from everything that came before and kind of put it all in one uh, movie and then expanded it into a trilogy and then the animatrix and, and we're supposedly getting a fourth one. So maybe we'll record that episode when we get closer to when the fourth one is going to release. Yeah, there you go. What are your favorite uh, cyberpunk retro future gadgets? Like if you had to pick, one of the gadgets out of this genre that really like sticks out as something that's not really used in any other genre, or maybe it's just not as popular outside of the cyberpunk slash retro future genre. Ooh, that is tough though. I think, and we've seen it like, uh, I guess it's been used now. Like it's expanded out a little bit, but I remember being absolutely blown away um, as a kid thinking about, the possibilities of like direct neural interface with computers. So like, um, you know, take, take this plug, plug it into my brain. And now I'm in this machine, um, you know, doing things at speed of thought and stuff like that. And, you know, we see stuff like that in like uh, ready player one, or like a lot of other stuff now has seen this kind of like VR uh, you live in virtual world stuff. But I remember that thinking like, if I could just, you know, jack in to the internet that I don't know if my life would ever be the same. Uh, yeah, I got to wonder. It's funny. I, I, I got to wonder if that from the fiction was the influence of VR technology because oh, yeah. they're trying to replicate sort of the same experience. And for some people, it it makes them really nauseous, right? I don't know if that's something to do with the refresh rate on the screens, but uh, yeah, you know, creating that world that you're in is a similar experience on that same note. Like I think one of the things, and we still don't have the technology to do this. And it was just the, in the original Blade Runner, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, the scene where he has the photo and he's manipulating the photo and like, almost like he's taking a two dimensional photo and he can go into it in 3d and rotate around and manipulate the data yeah, from the photo. Yes to track, to get that detail of that, uh, scale, you know, to look up, <laughs> to make it match was nuts as a kid. And it, uh, that's something that's like, wow, it'd be cool if they have something like that in cyberpunk. Uh, that'd be a fun gadget to have where you could manipulate data in that way, where you could rotate around and check out objects. And along those same lines, what you were talking about with the neural interface, they had, um, and they sort of have these now. They're not quite as cool as they are in, say, something like Shadowrun, but like smart guns where 
it's hooked yes. to a visor or something and you target you still target with the gun but your eyes help to line up the target more precisely yeah and that's a very like i remember that stuff like that always felt very robocop right like when it would switch to his like first person field yeah. of view and he would be targeting exactly what he wanted and the gun his arm just kind of moved like yeah that stuff from like a tabletop role playing game kind of thing it was like this is so cool <laughs> Yeah, as of that'll be interesting to see what I think. I think I saw something in the Cyberpunk game that's going to have that. So that part will be. Yeah, I think I saw a video of like uh, using smart gun stuff to like shoot around cover and things like that. Um, wow, that's awesome, man. Well, I'm so glad you were able to come by the show and kind of kick us off on what a retro future is what it means what we like about it um i want everybody that listens to this to think about that same subject and if you have any really strong feelings and you want to get on the show drop me a email you can send me an email and that's going to be at hoptimusfuture at gmail.com that's hoptimus h-o-p-t-i-m-u-s f-u-t ure at gmail.com and uh, if you want to get on the show let me know i'm hoping to have some really special guests i'm gonna have warlock on probably a couple more times because we're kind of geeks for this stuff um i know that i've talked to you warlock about talking about a whole episode on john carpenter and then we're gonna figure out how to (laughs) shoehorn uh, robert e howard's conan the barbarian as a retro futurist topic i've got an idea i'll run it by you but i think we can make it work Sounds good. I even have a very, uh, yeah, bizarre tie-in uh, thanks to the current Marvel comics. So, yeah, we'll talk. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that uh, property has stayed around and then skipped around to various companies. So, yeah, that will that will be really fun. Um, and then, you know, we'll definitely probably do an episode on the cyberpunk 2077 game on the show. Um, I'll probably might have to get you on that one too. Warlock, maybe with a couple other gamers where we can really talk about it. Cause I know a lot of the gamers, uh, Warlock and I are both on a gaming group called the adult gamer, the adult gamer.com. And a lot of gamers there are looking forward to playing cyberpunk. So we'll probably see if we can grab a couple of those guys on to talk about the game. And, uh, how how it turned out it looks to be a winner uh, but you never can tell That's any true. uh any parting words warlock words of wisdom oh man um words of wisdom i don't know i guess i just want to say thank you for having me and i guess my parting words of wisdom what is it since we mentioned playing a lot of shadow run we'll just go with never deal with a dragon does that work that's right. That's right out of the book, the first edition book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, guys. This has been Hoptimus with the Retro Futurist Podcast. I want to thank my guest, Warlock, for coming on the show. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to be bringing you some fun topics. If there's any topics in cyberpunk, steampunk, or anything you think might fit Retro Future, again, drop us a line at hoptimusfuture at gmail.com. This is the Retro Futurist Podcast, part of the Ruminations of the Red Room Podcast Network. We'll catch you guys later.
The Retro Futures Culture is a production of Ruminations Radio Network, home for all your wildest worlds and favorite stuff. Please rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get your favorite shows. Thank you, and have a nice day. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum, all things horror from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you! <laughs>